Hello, welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. And I already apologize in advance for what you're going to be hearing is a lot of hammering, faint hammering. My neighbor decided to do some construction on a Sunday morning, so I apologize for that. So for this episode, we're going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 76th Academy Awards. That film is The Barbarian Invasions, or in its original language, Les Invasions Barbares. It is written and directed by Denis Acon, and this was Canada's first win and third nomination. So for a very quick summary of the film, this film is about uh, Sebastien, a career business person based in London, who was contacted by his mother with the news of his father, Remy's cancer, already in a terminal stage. So he goes back to Canada where he and his father's hostile relationship is reignited while Sebastien finds a way for his father to get better health care um, for his father. So Sebastien navigates that, you know, overcrowded healthcare system. And, you know, upon knowing that heroin is a better than morphine in terms of as a painkiller, I wouldn't know. Uh, he tracks down a drug addict named Natalie. So, uh, Natalie becomes uh, Remy's, uh, I don't know what's the right word, but she wants to the one that provides heroin for Remy so that Remy would feel better. So then they decided to move Remy to the countryside where he and his friends spend his last days, you know, having conversations about um, intellectual stuff because they're an intellectual group of people. And Remy is a former professor. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm not gonna mention the final line of the synopsis because that's too spoilery. So that's the quick summary for the barbarian invasions. So our guest for today is from the United States. Yay. So she is a co-editor of Awards Daily TV. Please welcome Miss Megan McLaughlin. Hi. Hi. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for coming to the show and saying yes. Of course. And I have to tell you that when I told my Awards Daily TV colleague, Joey Moser, that I was going to be on it, he was like, oh, I love that podcast. I want to be on that podcast. So uh, you're going to have to have him on next. <laughs> I, I just froze. I just froze. <laughs> yeah, I was saving that information for you. So it was on the air. So you could have that. But yeah, oh my gosh. super excited. He's like, oh my God, I love that podcast. So. I'm I'm blushing. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much because I um because yeah it's it's I know it's you're doing a lot of for awards daily TV and we're deep into Emmy season. It's a crazy season of the Emmys. This is not an Emmy podcast, but that's insane. And I'm also a fan of TV, not necessarily the Emmys this year because I have a lot of like uh bad feelings about some of the nominees and some of the snubs. But I'm so happy that you may um came to the show probably doesn't sound right but yeah thank you so much and can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work sure they can find me on twitter at hey dude meg and um i'm also on if you go to awardsdaily.com and go to the tv section or even i write some of the film stuff too um and we also have our water cooler podcast which drops every monday um and where this weekend um we're doing our Pedro Almodovar retrospective and we're watching Bad Education. So if you're another uh, another foreign foreign film that that uh, you might wanna might wanna watch with us. Yeah, and we just talked about it 
last week's ep- in last week's episode because it was like it was a well-known film in 2004 and it was in a conversation but it was not submitted by Spain but Spain won that year so I would not say that oh, they made a bad decision not not submitting Almodovar but I haven't checked it so for our listeners who are also like digging deep because in the end this podcast is you know we're talking about films that won this category but Hopefully, this is just like the beginning of your exploration of world cinema because there's so much more than the five yeah. nominees they just nominate per year. So be sure to check one that that be sure to check that one out. And I just have to say that I also listen to the podcast and I have bookmarked your reactions to Awards Daily for weeks now. And it just it was so busy and I listened to it like last night. And I also share the craziness of this year in terms of Emmy nominations. It's been a wild ride, and I think it's not over yet. Well, obviously, it won't be over till uh, <laughs> the Emmys. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be a crazy ride because I think there's a lot of unprecedented stuff and, like, disruption yeah. and patterns. Um, some of them great disruptions, like uh, Paul Mescal and Shira Haas getting in. Like, yes. I love those two. I mean, kind of biased on Paul Mescal, but those two performances are, like, naked, emotionally naked performances. Yes. It's just... <laughs> unbelievable to watch and then you also have something like uh, for me um, The Handmaid's still getting in series but not Elizabeth Moss and I know in your case Curb Your Enthusiasm getting in yes. series but not Larry David right yes I was crushed about that I'm still thinking about that all the time <laughs> yeah and I just we just finished uh, the season 10 this week uh, because I, I don't watch the show just watch season 10 <laughs> so the spite store <laughs> that right happened. isn't that great you need to go okay. back and watch from the beginning because I, if you like season ten, there's more to it and understanding what how you get to season ten. Oh gosh, and yeah, and, and I, I guess for some reason I was nervous at probably because I, I already said this to you, but for our listeners, my mom and I watch everything for this podcast for life. So I was kind of nervous that probably she would not like curb your enthusiasm because it's a very, uh, very there's a very dad vibe to it and Larry's not really the most well likable well likable <laughs> character but when we were watching it she's like can we watch the next episode already should we wait for tomorrow like oh this is the energy that you gave me when we watched the Kaminsky method so I kind of <laughs> see the pattern here um, she loved it and probably gonna go back because you know after after this Emmy season, what's going to be in television? You know, right. Some, know. some of the delayed productions, but there's going to be like, probably there's like, a, a lull. yeah, a lull. Yeah. And probably, you would probably see reruns or yeah. like Game of Thrones on a daily basis. I don't know. Maybe the fanboys and girls would like scream again, like, why did they kill him? And like, I haven't <laughs> seen it yet, but I already know what happened in the Red Wedding. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, that tangent on television. This next chapter. Let's now go to like what we thought, what we think of uh, the barbarian invasions. I just love the. I, I I practiced reading it in French. La invasion barbare. You did such a good job with that. Merci beaucoup. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, what did you think of the barbarian invasions? You know, I enjoyed it. I was I was sucked into it like pretty immediately. I thought it was. Um, you know, the dynamics with the family are really interesting. And I said this to you before we started that it kind of reminded me a bit of Woody Allen-esque because, you know, they're all intellectuals talking about intellectual things, which is so in so many Woody Allen movies, I feel like. Um, 
but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I, um, well, we'll talk about the ending, but the ending kind of was like, oh, well, now what's going to happen? Um, but I, I felt like I liked the way they explored the relationships. I, I felt like uh, Remy's kind of a bastard. Like the, like the fact that his, you know, he openly admits to cheating on his wife throughout their entire marriage and has all these mistresses that come to his deathbed, basically. And they're all so excited to see him and, and, um, you know, his wife is like, you know, okay with it. It's, I, I, I will say one thing that I kept thinking about with this movie is that I, I felt like it could have pushed the relationships a bit more, the strain on the relationships a bit more because they all seemed so, except for him and Sebastian, they all seemed so like, that's the way he is. Like nobody seems to have any, any feelings of hurt from him. Um, and you would think that he had inflicted hurt on them, but, um, and we don't really know why he and Sebastian clash so much other than possibly because he cheated on his mother. Um, I think that's the crux of it, but, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Except the other thing I, I didn't like about it structurally is the way, did you notice that it had like fade ins and fade outs a lot with themes? Yeah. So I noticed that it abused that like a like the way Star Wars abuses the abuses the wipe it abuses the fade in and fade out which made me wonder like what was going on I don't know what's that but yeah I was thinking maybe that's a 2000s kind of thing or like even earlier because I think when us as this, because this podcast is going backwards um you're, I'm seeing now a lot of fade ins and fade outs like is this a thing that happened like um yeah I don't know I think it's just Maybe at the time that was how the language in editing at least was probably they were really more comfortable in suggesting that. And I also thought, um, kind of jumping to editing, but it kind of suggests lack of confidence in in stitching scenes together because I think yeah. now, like I don't know if this is just like a two thousand things kind of thing, but we we understand that like, even if you don't fade and fade out, we know when a passage of time happened. It's yeah. in the writing, it's in the crafting of the scene, it's in the, in the new in the subtle details in like hairstyle or like acting or like lighting or something like that. But yeah, this year has a lot of like cheesy. I, I, for now, it seems cheesy. Um, those transitions, uh, kind of like ooh, that's a very two thousand thing kind of do. Yeah, now I'm thinking about movies that I was watching at the time, like uh, Kissing Jessica Stein does it at the towards the end of the film um, when they're kind of showing the passage of time. Um, and that's the only instance I can think of, but that tracks with your theory that it's a, a 2000 thing. I'm going to have to look back and see what else, what other movies do it. Yeah, that was just an assumption because, yeah, at the time, I, I because and at the time in the 2000s, I was actively not watching English films because I was such a fraud patriot. Like, I'm only going to watch Filipino films because I'm a Filipino. What? And then, you know, um, when, when, when I watch those films from that, from that time, it's usually like the Oscar nominees, the Oscar winners. So I'm spoiled by Chicago's very sharp editing. Yeah. Or like... Um, the Lord of the Rings or Moulin Rouge just like what so I I'm not really sure like the common language of the film at the time mm, hmm. with this film like hmm, like 
seven this is the 17th episode of the podcast so probably i've said the word interesting a lot of times already um it's interesting i would say i think the film very much engages in verbal warfare for a lot of its runtime um like of course i think the the the, the central relationship of Remy and sebastian um it, it's the central one but you also have like i said Remy and the women <laughs> that he messed with and uh hmm he even like manages to like get that nun at the end like the nun like with the, who comes over and says to him like he's like I would have given you a ravish like I could have ravaged you and she's like I would have let you and I'm like how is it possible that he got the nun like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thought that part was funny. I was like, really? This guy? What is it about him? <laughs> yeah. What? I want to see him younger because I don't understand. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a but lot. It, that I, there's like, there's a lot that is interesting about, you know, they just kind of sweep things under the rug with this character where like, like I, like I said before, they, he's a complicated guy, but he seems to attract all these women and, has very few enemies, I would say. Even the even his wife, who we cheated on, she's she's like you're the man of my life. Like yeah, okay. oh, yeah. I was thinking because you know, with him being a a professor, I think you know intellectuals have a way with words, and uh, maybe that's one of the factors. I mean, this is not fully disclosed in the film, but I was just thinking that because. I was attracted to some intellectuals in my life. Um, but, you know, maybe that has given him, like, a lot of, uh, what do you call this, uh, advantage to yeah. attracting people. Because, yeah, intellect can be really sexy when you, when you know. And But I was thinking because um, the character for me, of course, he is in his deathbed. But he gets away with a lot of the you know, the philandering and I don't know, because I think when the film doesn't really hold him accountable for that, or maybe this is just me in a 2020 lens, um, would you say, I, because I think philandering, and I don't know if you would agree with me or, or not on this, but I think philandering, especially men, philandering, philandering men, I think it's deeply ingrained in misogyny because you, you, you can just easily take women um and just have fun with them and like f up their life and like well i'm in my deathbed i'm just i'm gonna enjoy this moment um do you think the script or like the film itself is kind of misogynistic or do you think the character is just misogynistic and not the film and if if not uh how do you delineate the two uh a misogynistic film from a film about a misogynistic character that's really interesting because I do, now that I'm thinking about the women in it, um, Sebastian's fiance, wife, whatever she is, bothered me for some reason because I felt like she was very, just like a basic bitch. Like, let's <laughs> just put it bluntly. Like, I was like, Sebastian's picking this girl because then when Natalie came in with her like Winona Ryder 2000s haircut, I was like, this girl, this heroin addict is so cute. Like, why isn't Sebastian? Like, there was clearly something with Sebastian and Natalie, like, from their first interaction. And I was like, oh, something has happened with them. And I don't know what it is. But um, 
but I, I now that you th- now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know whether it's a. That is an excellent question. I really don't know. Thank could, you. Yeah, I could see it going both ways. Where maybe it's a misogynistic film in the sense that, like, it is just celebrating this dick. Like, really, like Remy's a dick. Like, yeah. he's not a good person. I don't think. And um, like, we're not given any proof that he is a good person. I think. Um, he's fun and he loves life and everything, but I, I don't think he's somebody that you would say, Oh, he'd be there for me. The way that his friends and mistresses are there for him. I don't like, I don't know if he would do the reverse for one of his mistresses. Um, But then I also think is that the point is the structure of it to make it seem like, you know, also are we erasing all of his bad things he's done because he is dying is that like part of it too that we're just you know even though I feel like the film wants to make it complicated especially with Sebastian I mean the fact that he doesn't even want to go and see him um like he doesn't want to see his dad but he does and then he does all these things for his dad and I guess I kind of wanted to see a little more push and pull with those characters because like by the end he's just like I love you like it, it doesn't seem that hard for him to say I love you and to do all those things for him and it's kind of like, well, where was that moment that pushed him over the edge? Yeah, but, hmm. Yeah, that is a very interesting observation because you have, to, because I think when you have a character that is really um, dislikable like this, um, which is usually a problem for women characters and not for male characters, now we're having this conversation. Uh, there is only this one brief moment, but it's it's really brief and it's not even involving Remy. It was when, yeah, because I think when Sebastian came to Canada for the first time in the film, it immediately uh, sparks again, you know, father and son. And, yeah. you know, he would he would say something like, I would never be like you, something like that. And then, and then of course, there's the leftover anger when they already left Remy. But then um, his mother, uh, the wife, I, I, I should have gotten his name, her name, her name is uh, Louise. Um, she said that well when you had meningitis when you were three years old uh, he carried you for 48 hours no sleep something like that You, of course you don't remember he's checking you on your school like every month your teachers because he wanted to know that you're doing well I think that's a touching moment with Remy off screen but it's just because it's it's kind of in theory it's in words and looking back now, I can like, oh, I like that because I think with parents and children, there, there will always be like, I would quote Annette Bening on this, on a variety, uh, no, actors and actors with Naomi Harris in 2016. Parents and their children will always have a necessary distance. So you would never fully know what your parents did to you or the same way backwards. Um, and you would never really fully know the character. And I think Sebastian has a very rigid imagery of his father, the the philandering trash dick yeah. shit um, intellectual <laughs> that let him get away with it. But it has a very um, small moment to really fully contextualize this. And even in even in Remy's, uh even in his more open moments when he's not abrasive he's still talking about the women he dreamed of. Yeah. And how, no joke, uh, how 
his seam his sperm probably flooded the rivers the the river level um like okay we're talking about semen levels now sure i mean i'm here let's hear it but yeah i think there is just i don't know it, it's it was hard for me to latch on to a character that's this and then like pushing people away He's like, he's somebody you would, you would be like, oh, he'd be fun to party with, but he's not somebody that you, like, it's, it's just amazing to me that all these people came out of the woodwork to be with him by his deathbed, because I think, I don't think they would, given everything that they've said about, like, everything that's been said about him, everything that he's done, I don't think they would. It's, I think it's important to mention that this was a sequel to The Decline of the American Empire. Thank you for giving me that information. Yes, it's a, it's I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, because maybe that would have given us the why. Yeah. But also, I think, I don't think people really, you know, when they watch The Barbarian Invasion, it's like, well, I am a completist. <laughs> I should watch The Decline of the American Empire first. So I think the film should stand alone in itself, at least in terms of like how to create empathy for this character or if the character is deliberately not likable like we have to see why he was that way or why it, it, it was necessary for him to be that way because yeah. we already introduced him in that state as the one of pushing people away and like if i'm gonna be taking care of you oh this is a thought in my mind right now maybe he is also a bit on the edge because of his condition, because of his dissatisfaction with the hospital setup, mm-hmm. maybe. But yeah, sometimes it just comes off to me as a really like, really uh, agitated dick. Thank you for yeah. the word dick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard yeah, yeah. to empathize with a character. There's even that brief scene at one point where he's yelling at sister, I, I forget what her name is, but the nun. Um, and he's yelling at her about something to do with like, like, Oh, he's upset about. I think they're arguing about God, and because he doesn't believe in God, and he says something like the crimes of everybody. And it's just like a brief scene where he's really mad and gets mad at her, and then it like goes to the next scene, and it was almost just like, what was that for? Like, why are you being so mean to the sister who's helping you? Like, why are you doing this? Like, um, it was a weird scene, but it was one that I was just like, okay, like settle down yeah. now. Yeah, I just did not understand why he was that in the first place. And it that's why it's hard for me to, like, you know, when the film talking about his character dying and I don't really care about him that much dying, like, die. Um, yeah, that is, it is. kind that's, of difficult. Yeah, that's interesting because would it have been more, I mean, it's an emotional ending when, like, they go to the house and he has this scene, but it's not like an earned ending where... You know, we've seen this journey with the father and the son. Because um, the son seems to be, I think the most, can I talk about what I think is the most emotion, the most interesting part of the film is? Oh, is it okay if I talk about what I think the most interesting part of the film is? Oh, yeah. This okay. is full spoilers. We've talked okay. about twists here. Let's okay. go. <laughs> it's the very end of the film. Um, so Remy has died. Sebastian has given Natalie... Uh, his old place and she kisses Sebastian you know even though Sebastian's girlfriend wife is probably waiting in the car and he like he like looks stunned and he kind of just like falls back and then leaves and then the it the final scene is is him and his future wife on a plane 
And she says, I love you after giving a speech earlier in the film saying that she never says that because she doesn't want, um, if they have kids for her, for them to see her saying that because it'll be too painful if they break up. And then it's Sebastian looking out the window, just like really sad. And I think basically I, this is what I took it as. I think he's going to have an affair with Natalie and I think he's going to turn into his dad. Oh, it's like a cycle, like a yeah. never-ending cycle. So he could, he's oh. unable to break the cycle. That's why I, I was say. like, whoa. <laughs> That's yeah. why I want to see more of that. I don't know if there's a third film. <laughs> Is there I, a third film? I, uh, I think it's, uh, I think that Day, Days of Darkness. There is like, a, it's like kind of a loose trilogy. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm checking right now. I should have yeah. checked this <laughs> beforehand. Um... Oh, oh, not not really. It doesn't have really the oh. There are very few overlaps in terms of character, so yeah, probably not seeing that. But yeah, that is a very interesting observation that I would admit did not catch, because at the time I think I going to the ending. I felt that the film had a lot of endings. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, like, it never really knew when to close it. And then it doesn't help that I think for us when you're near when you're for example when you know that the film is one hour fifty minutes and you're already one hour forty five and you're doing fade outs you're probably yeah. ending but it never really stopped it just continued so like yeah. again a small thing as a fade out could affect how I responded to the ending um, you know as as someone who has done editing in as a work <laughs> as in life like really conscious like don't do a fade out there because it it it's not it's not confident or like yeah. it's too it's too you're suggesting too much that you're closing already yeah i thought that too yeah yeah you're right i i even kept thinking like wait is this the scene where he's going to die is this the scene where he's going to die oh wait no this is the scene where he's going to die um i yeah i could totally see that like, is he going to go through more withdrawals from heroin, which um, was an interesting tidbit for that character. The fact that, you know, he becomes a heroin addict in addition to, uh, I mean, I guess I wanted to know, too, like, how much, I didn't think he was in that much pain that he needed it. Like, I don't know. There wasn't a difference between pre-heroin Remy and, and post-heroin Remy to me. I don't know if you noticed a difference. Yeah, not really, but I think the only distinguishing factor is that like one scene where he was craving for it and was kind of rolling in the bed. That's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't even know why they brought up the 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 heroin conversation because I didn't see him being in a lot of pain early on. Yeah. He was a pain in the ass, but he wasn't really yeah. seen to be having a lot of pain. Um I do think I, I liked that moment when he was kind of withdrawing and that's why they were calling Natalie to like yeah. come here because that's one moment of weakness of Remy that mm. if you're not going to give me an understanding of this character that much, give me a moment of weakness. Yeah. So that I could empathize with this dick, basically. Yeah. Um, I just think that I think the, the, the heroine story with Natalie is interesting because these are kind of two people... In having different kind of illness, you know, with cancer yeah. and with drug addiction, and they come together in this kind of twisted way of like doing heroin. 
Um, but going back to the character, I imagine that I would have been more touched by this film if I just had more attachment to Remy. And yeah. e- and even I think with Sebastian, he he doesn't really have this huge journey because I think he had it's life is kind of too easy for him. I mean, his struggle is to get his dad to the hospital. Yeah. But he has the money to do it. Right. So like it's really kind of petty and I would not like that's your problem really so yeah I, I find it hard to empathize with kind of actually with any of the characters that's hard for me to um that's hard because you know when 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 you tell me like we're gonna watch a film about death like I'm gonna cry because like death is such a, like and especially now where I think a lot of us in the world are like kind of if, if we're not dying we see people dying yeah. so we're kind of have a more confrontative uh relationship with death now but to see a film that I don't know, kind of doesn't really dig deep into the experience of someone closer to death, and which is kind of disappointing because I knew that the director, we didn't talk, but I read some things, um, that he wanted to make a film about a character that's close to death. Yeah, I think everything you just said is pretty, you know, and I was even reading the description on IMDb, which I don't think the description is very good about the film it says like during his final days a man a dying man is reunited with old friends former lovers well i guess there was that one there was another one i read that was like over wine like a man enjoys like it it sounded like it was like a party and they had intellectual conversations i'm like well there are some intellectual conversations in it but like i don't know maybe it was the wikipedia the wikipedia one but i was just kind of surprised that the the it seems like people didn't know how to categorize categorize this film, how to classify it. Yeah, and I think it, in terms of tone, I mean, I, yeah, the tone is probably something that I would, I, I would say that the film was kind of consistent, in terms of it's like, uh, how's the right word? Like kind of like harsh humor that the character. I think that maintains it well. And I think one thing that I would like say as a positive of the film is that it can shift through genres like kind of smoothly. So you said it has a very specific like rhythm and tone. Like and you say like Woody Allen-esque. Yeah. Um, because Woody Allen's like both funny and dark at the same time. Uh, yeah. I think The Barbarian Invasions has that consistency. But um, yeah, I just struggled to connect with the story. Would you call this a sex comedy drama film? Because that's what Wikipedia has it labeled as. Comedy and drama poster, the, the 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 boobs and the penis. Yes, and the drawn penis. There's nothing. Like, I just I think that this. I don't understand how the poster matches the film. <laughs> like I I oh god I mean uh I it hmm I mean it's a it's an illustration so do have more leeway to that and I. <laughs> I knew that we know that the character of Denis is really into women, and yeah. so the, the boobs is kind, of, the penis is pointed to the boobs. I don't know why. <laughs> I have not been in that situation in my life, but yeah, it's just an, it, I mean, it's not as egregious as Halle Berry in the Monsters Ball premiere. Like that's a different <laughs> film. <laughs> You're in, but yeah, interesting because we never really the sex is in the dialogue. Yes, but it's not even that like. 
that implies like a gross out like body like um very descriptive thing like and i don't feel like he just talks about like having like being with women but he doesn't he doesn't go into details yeah i mean i was expecting him to other go than into the details. semen thing other than the yeah. semen thing yeah and then i think with with a character of remy and then establishing this as a sex comedy i think that also kind of affected my my uh, expectations because when you say you're a sex comedy you're probably gonna see some sex but yeah. here and i don't know uh, how have you fought when did you start following the oscars Ooh, probably when i was like 18 so well no i've always followed the oscars but like really more closely probably like i'd say maybe 20 years 2000 2000 so maybe i was like 15 or 16 yeah yeah, yeah. because i was thinking maybe i don't know if this was I don't know the reception to this film because maybe at the time it was a daring sex comedy, but now it just feels like, okay, that's not really, I, I, yeah. Or maybe wait, we should watch the first film and see if that gives us any insight into it. Now I'm like interested in like what Remy was like before. Although I do think this film stands alone by itself. It can like work by itself, but now I'm wondering what he was like when he was younger yeah we're gonna stop recording and we're gonna watch right now the decline of it no we're just kidding um yeah and i think also maybe the the way they marketed it maybe is because i think in the 2000s you had a lot of sex comedies like american pie and road trip and yeah. Euro trip which is they were my jams like of course as a as a as an eight-year-old really you're gonna watch sex comedies um <laughs> not a good way to be introduced to sex um yeah, maybe at the time that was maybe that we were playing with that. Maybe they made it more visual because there's nothing really visual about the sex in the film. No, yeah, it's just mostly, it's just mostly an an older man who looked older than what he was. I thought when given how I figured out how he was probably in his early fifties. Um, maybe he was sick too, but um, like it was just him, like. It's just him being surrounded by people who love him and are just going to do whatever they can for him. I mean, his son takes the, which I think the most surprising thing about the film for me was the fact that, you know, you always hear about in Canada, healthcare is so much better up there than it is here. And then there are people like just, they have patients in the, in the, like in the hallways, like they're just packed, but then there's the floor beneath them that is completely empty. And so Sebastian, buys out that so he can have his dad there and away from everybody which i was kind of like why don't you just put some money into this and help other people too like why do you just you like this guy has money just coming out of his butt and he's like and he only gives it to just his dad which i'm like help these other people like do something good help these other people who are in the hallways yeah and that was that 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 i just struck me because I think as a, as you know we're coming into the 2010s conversation. I want to know your thoughts on this because I know looking at Twitter, people American healthcare is really like oh, pfft, really bad. Yeah. But then people that kind of go to Canada for like you know like a better healthcare and to see a film in reverse. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if maybe there was a political change in Canada at the time, or is it better, or maybe, I don't know, it's just an interesting perspective on healthcare, because I immediately remembered you, like, as an American, like, this is, these are Canadians going to America for better healthcare, like, okay, yeah. let's talk about that. Right. I thought I thought that was shocking. Because even in the beginning, I was like, whoa, these are some crowded hallways. Did they have, like, is it the ER? It was like an episode where, like, they had some sort of incident. But then you realize, oh, this is every day at this hospital. But then it's interesting that the, the floor below that, I, there's more to that story there that I feel like we don't get, really. Um, the fact that there's, like, an empty floor below that they're not using, but then it becomes, like, this of the amazing lighting like the lighting and stuff they put in there it's like a cool apartment they basically set up for him and like you feel bad for like there's that one point where they go down he sebastian and that guy are gonna go down on the elevator uh to check out the, the second floor or the floor below them and this woman and like a doctor and a woman are getting ready to go down on the elevator with them. And he's like, no, you take the next one. And it's almost like, is that sneaky? Cause you know where you're going and they're going to see it. And that's why you made them take the next one. There's that's a whole story there too. I would love to have heard more about that. Like yeah. why are, why are people all put on this one floor? Yeah. Or I think maybe there is a commentary on Canadian healthcare. I, I don't know, because, um, you see, I, I don't know. It's, I think it goes beyond that because for example, um, the, the, the TV, and I think that a lot of like, I don't have red, I, I don't red tape, you know, when the, the television was cut and you have to go here and then it's not this company, you have to go here. And then yeah. when you have to get the, the floor, you have to hire workers, but you have to go yeah. to union, but the, the laptop was lost, but you cannot get that anymore because if it's a, it's a, if it's in a worker, it's a union, you can't do anything about it anymore. Yeah. A lot of uh, paperwork after paperwork. So I think there is more to that story of how the system works or doesn't work, but because the perspective is so privileged that we don't get to dig into that deep, deep right. into that. Yeah, all we care about is Remy having his a whole floor to himself. So I was surprised he didn't bang anybody down there. Like I was waiting for like some of his mistresses to be like, "Well, I guess he did have that one mistress come in and say, I love you, I love you." Is and it the one like, that's crying? Hey, baby. Hmm? Is it is it the one who's crying? Yeah, like the blonde-haired woman like towards the beginning who was like um she was like, "Oh, I love you." And then he was just like, "Get away from me, baby." Like <laughs> Yeah, and I think what I I forgot the name of the 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 blonde with the with the the with the hair down and his glasses, uh when 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 she saw Natalie come out of his private room like like you also banged her is she's almost the same age as your daughter like there is a, they already have an assumption that he would do that but I just yeah. also surprised that he did not actually do it and I think one with the nurse <laughs> when he was kind of fantasizing it like, oh yeah yeah. Yes, that whole scene was weird too. Which okay, I want to talk about his daughter. Like, let's go there. Yeah, what's up with her? Because she's like, I mean, she has a pretty cool life where she's sailing like around the world. Um, but she does have enough capacity to send him like a video of goodbye. Um, but like, I don't know the fact that she knows he's dying, and seems broken up about it, but it's not broken up enough to end her sailing trip so she could come see him and i don't know like what the extent of her trip is what if she's like 
if it's for work or for wh- yeah. what. That was but never like, clear. It was never clear on what she was doing. Yeah, I thought and she it, was fishing, but yeah. that was expensive. Yeah, she's just on a yacht and looks like she's like, you know, if she'd be on Instagram being like, oh my God, so da- so sad my dad's dying. Hmm. But I'm on this yacht, like yeah. beautiful yeah. day. Yeah, like a YouTuber, like I'm so sad, but be sure to like this video. But, yeah, um, like, yeah, I think that's an interesting contrast with with her saying those very loving words, but she's yes. not there. Yeah. But the people that are hands on with him, like even Sebastian and Luis, like, oh, it it's war, <laughs> war of words here. So I think there is a certain disconnect when you're not with the person. It's so easy to say I love you. I'm sending you kisses. I'm sending you the air of the sea, like. Girl, you're not in the real war zone with yeah. people dealing with cancer. I don't know. It's it's it's. I think it's a kind of a negligible part of the film. Yeah, I, I can see like that now. They're necessary. cutting it. Yeah, like I don't understand why she's in there at all. Really. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's why I think the most interesting relationships in the film were, of course, with the father and son, and but with the with Natalie the drug addict that was a very a lot of gray areas there not fully explored but really an interesting one I think she's the daughter he didn't really have because didn't he date her mom or that his mom her mom was his mistress for a while so but they like knew that and so they would hang out together the kids would hang out together so they knew each other um so I felt like Natalie was like the daughter he didn't have or, well, he does have, but just didn't connect with. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, in some way, they kind of, like, supported each other. Um, well, they're, they're, the factor that brought them together was heroin, but yeah. um, with, with Remy, depending on Natalie, and, and for some reason, Natalie kind of, uh, for some reason, having a bit of a clarity when he was giving drugs for Remy. Uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I, think, I think the line that makes me think of why she turned it around a little bit was when he said something like, oh, I am I love life. I'm going to miss life. I love wine, women, especially the women, you know? And I feel like she is realizing she's slowly killing herself for no, needlessly, for no reason other than pleasure of you know of the drug and so when she ODs I think I feel like she's kind of realizing or maybe I think it's after that after she ODs that she has that conversation with him I think she's realizing that he would give whatever he could to continue living and she's slowly killing herself so she should just you know quit doing it and live her life yeah and that that impending death kind of reconfiguring her perspective in life yeah um, yeah that's not something that they dug deep but i think it's there and it's yeah. really just an interesting uh dimension of that character um well the, the actress that played her is a uh, marie jose cause <laughs> i don't know how to pronounce that marie jose cause uh, she won best actress at Cannes. oh wow yeah, for playing what's... natalie yeah, surprise! It's a surprise for me as well. Wow. Well, she was really, she really did. She popped. I felt like on screen, um, especially with her and Sebastian. Like, who's Sebastian is kind of like if Guy Pierce and Brad Pitt had a baby. I feel like 
Did you get oh, that feeling the way he looks? Oh yeah, my mom pointed it out. Like he kind of yeah. looks like Brad Pitt. Like yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah. I'm kind of reading it a bit now, saying that uh, her best actress when it can wasn't really predicted. So she was actually not present in the ceremony to accept the award. Oh wow! Yeah, I think it's just rare. Maybe in festivals where they don't have supporting for the for the acting award to go to a su- su- supporting, right? Supporting, or would you consider it otherwise? I would consider it supporting. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking of like how major she was in the latter half of the film, but she came really late, like forty minutes in. Yeah, I was gonna say, what do you make of the? I'm looking through reading about this. What do you make of the title? So like the barbarian invasions, like because they say what it like i i was trying to get wrap my head around because they say it in the film yeah um, and it's something to do with that guy watching tv about yeah. 9-11 and I, and I forgot this is the time period where every film that comes out is somehow going to mention 9-11 like which i'm thinking now uh what every film we're going to see in the next five years is going to talk about the pandemic or refer to the pandemic um but i was it's like about how, you know, after 9-11 was like, like the, was keeping the borders and now the barbarians are invading. And I was kind of like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Huh. I, I, I was supposed to ask that to you, but since you brought up <laughs> the question, I have presented like some ready things. Uh, I guess, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I, that was also interesting because, you know, that scene did not focus on one of the main characters, but the the film really focused on that part, like yeah. mentioning how before there were great wars, um, but now it's like a start of the great barbarian invasions. And I think, yeah, because Denis Akon really set this film to co- to connect this to nine eleven. Um, I think just the term barbarian already shows you the perspective, the othering. Because um, there's a very when you talk about 9/11 and you call it a, a barbarian invasion, that's a very Western imagery. Because for people on the other side, the fact that after 9/11 America came to Iraq, for example, that's that's the barbarian invasion on their side. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that that is the most obvious connection is the 9/11 one. But I think also yeah. in terms of Sebastian going back to Remy and sparking this verbal warfare. I think that's one yeah. way of an invasion. And then this cancer coming into the lives of these people, not just Remy, but the people around him. That's probably another uh, battle that they had to fight. And then, I don't know, I'm interested about Remy's uh, anti-American rhetoric. You know, he was like, we're going to go yeah. to America. You're going to meet a lot of Mohammeds there. Blah, 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 blah. So like, ooh, yeah. ooh 2020. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, maybe that. A lot of those dimensions. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that they would like drive back and forth to like Baltimore. Like it was like not a, they said seven hours, right? From Montreal to Baltimore. Like how long did that take? That had to take longer than seven hours. Like. I was about to ask you that because have you tried crossing the border? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how are they just getting across there? Like, 
<laughs> like, zippity doodah, here we go. Like, it just seems like, oh, I'm just going to go to Baltimore for the day. It just seemed very fast. I'm like, um, how are you doing this? Like, that kind of threw me. I'm like, wait, Baltimore in the United States? Baltimore? Like, that threw me. Yeah, because I know, like, um, because I, I know, like, actors, because uh, I don't know actors, but I know, like, interviews of actors that, you know, I, I shoot something in Canada and then I drive to New York and then back to Canada, blah, blah, blah. So that crossing the border is kind of common, but I have no idea that the Baltimore thing is like, oh, that's interesting travel. I want to see. Yeah, that. it just kind of threw me. Like, let me see now. I'm going to, like, see Montreal to Baltimore. <laughs> to yeah how long does that take because that like that threw me that really threw me yeah but i don't know i was it, hmm with their money would land travel be the, the fastest way eight hours it says it's about eight hours eight so, hours so that makes sense but also just the way they filmed it it made it seem like oh it's just a hop skip and a jump away yeah like, I, I got that idea like oh it's just like a freeway thing or like an expressway no. okay yeah yeah, that, I thought that was interesting. I'm gonna pop they into Canada whenever whole, I want. They could have done the whole movie just about that trip, like about like you know more about because Sebastian would go on those trips with him. So having them talk more, they didn't talk too much other than he's like, "What do you do for a living?" And he's like, "Oh," and he talks about money stuff. Like that was the extent of their conversation, pretty much. And then whenever he calls, his friend calls him and is like, "Your dad, like." basically if it doesn't look good and like that was an interesting thing but like I, they could have been like a road trip type of movie where they you know bond or like or fight and then kind of come to some sort of understanding that would have been interesting yeah i kind of remember like a little bit of sunshine on how the relationships relationships inside the van and like you know they have they have their stops or like maybe the hospital for yeah the, but that in itself is a film but that is a very interesting one because I think there are only two there, so they're kind of confined with one another. Yeah. Um, so maybe their guards are a bit down when they're just the two of them. Yeah. But when they're with other people to compound the moment, it's more uh, offensive. Uh, more offensive, but like more on a aggressive kind of yeah. relationship. Even though, like, for the most part, Sebastian doesn't seem that, like, it's not hard for him to talk to his dad. Only in that first scene. I feel like, and eventually it's just like, oh, he just like, you know, talks to him normally. They don't, they don't clash a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of maybe, well, maybe a lot of their differences are more ideological because of like how the father cheated on his mother. And there's also this one mention of, of Sebastian really being a capitalist and I'm a socialist. Yes. But, but still big terms to really like you know, trickle down what really made them against one another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I would like to ask, what do you think of the films, you know, connecting of 9-11 to the story? Did it I, work or is it forced? It felt forced. Cause I like the fact that I had to think, what are you like? What are they trying to say? I feel like, there's more to it with with Remy, like there's more, but we don't really get a sense of that. Like the focus is him dying in his relationships. It's not his his political proclivities and all of that are just kind of the like dressing. I don't think it's anything 
it feels like they took the title from a minor subplot, like a minor scene, which sometimes I like whenever whenever movies do that. But I just kept thinking, what are they trying to say about like like is is it the barbarian invasion, all these people that are coming to invade him to help him like through his dying days? Is that like I just was kind of like struggling with why they called it that. Yeah, I, I think Again, but you closer... said with what you said, with the, what you described, made sense. Yeah, I think. Hmm. I think also the case with nine eleven. I don't know about the attitude in America at the time. Uh, maybe you would be interested in sharing with that because for me, as I remember, because that was you know, I think September eleven. So that maybe they broadcast it here like September twelve or something like that, wow. or morning of September. Hmm, that won't make sense, Be- because September twelve, uh, September the nine eleven happened late morning, so mm-hmm. that would be late morning. That would be late night here. It'd be like nine o'clock. It happened around nine o'clock on a Tuesday, yeah. so it probably was nine p.m. on a Tuesday for you. Yeah, but I or- I just saw the image of nine eleven on a morning, so maybe I slept through that because. As a kid who doesn't have anything to do in life, you sleep early, and your parents tell you to sleep early. Um, I I don't know. I, I was just so struck with that because there were a lot of conversations about wars coming, like a World War Three, and yeah. Um, I remember so distinctly when I was in first grade, and I'm not the kind of person who reaches out to your seatmate like, "Hi, I'm I am this night. Can we be friends?" Like, I'm not that person like uh i would rather i would wait for you to approach me (laughs) like can we be friends that's why it's such a a new thing to me to be like approaching people like hey i am a fan because that's a very new thing to me i was born inside my mind and i remember it was on my very first day of first grade my memory is so scary that i remember these things i remember spending the most of my time waiting for the teacher Drawing nine, drawing the twin towers on my pad paper and just with smoke in the middle. So I was really fascinated with that because it was such a big event. But that was from me, not there. Yeah. How, how was your experience being in America and an American at the time? It was very. It was wild. It was probably still the craziest time probably even still crazier than the pandemic, I would say, because I remember I was in, I was a senior in high school and it happened uh, while I was at school. And, you know, we, everything, the rest of the day, the classes were weird. Everybody just was like talking about what was going on. And, you know, the teachers were kind of doing like, uh, you know, trying to take control of, you know, of how we were feeling. Everybody was scared that like uh, some people had had boyfriends and like older boyfriends. And one girl in my class had a boyfriend who was going to school in the city. And so she was worried that like they were going to attack Pittsburgh. Everybody was started thinking, oh, are they going to attack every city? Like what's happening? Um, But I remember like by the end of the day, like everything was closed, like every store was closed nothing on tv it was everything was just all 9-11 all the time like you couldn't just watch like a tv show um because they took control of all the channels 
Um, and it was just, you felt very vulnerable and very scared and, um, and didn't know what was really going on. And, um, so yeah, that's what it was like. It was, it was, yeah, it was really scary. Yeah. Because I was thinking maybe that, that connection would be more obvious at the time that the closer to death kind of thing. Maybe um, you're right. Yeah, maybe yeah. I am. <laughs> um, you <but> are. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, I think with, with the 2020 lens, like it seemed kind of tangential at this point to to heavily feature it in one scene. And I think the only mention of it is his is Remy's uh, Islamophobic remarks. Right. Those are the only mentions of 9-11, aside from the one moment when they focused yeah. on it with no major characters. Um. Yeah. So maybe that is the thing, and I just remember also having you know, here in the Philippines because at the time, really, especially, um, the Philippines has very strong ties with America. Yeah. Actually, it's more of an abusive relationship <laughs> in terms of how America really uh, exploited the resources of my oh, country. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not holding you accountable. It's the government. It's. It's like you know they've colonized us for thirty years and never really let go of us. So it's like this boyfriend who keeps on stalking. Like we're gonna give you independence, but you're gonna give us mining in your country, and you're gonna allow us to send soldiers who would not have any responsibility if they rape women, something like that. Um, but anyway, that strong connection. I just threw in the word rape so casually. I'm so sorry. But that no, connect- I mean, what you're saying is true and it's terrible. So yeah. So even if we're like stuck in this abusive relationship with America, um, it felt still it felt really close because you remember at you we will remember at the time that those wars are not just. I mean, after 9/11, we know it's just for oil, <laughs> but. Um, we th- we always think of it as an ideological thing. Um, even in a Cold War, like the communists are coming for us, those kind of things. And with the Philippines being such so, so aligned with American ideologies to a very big fault, we also felt like uh, um, like tidbits of that fear. But of course, it's different when you see, when you know people who might be there in New York City at the time. Yeah. Who, um, you're you you personally might be you're fearing that you maybe they would go to your city or something like that. It's yeah. very interesting, um, yeah. confrontational again, um, experience with death. Um, but I think one thing that we could connect is that um, you know Sebastian is really into the business. He is a capitalist in the truest sense. But when you juxt and when you know his being so drawn into business, causing he's literally separated from his family. He's in London, and then this cancer forced him to come together. And then you also have the the World Trade Center, which is like the you know business center of yeah. the United States. So you see, kind of capitalism being under threat or attacked. In terms of character level and in the news level, you know, with the nine eleven happening, yeah, um, yeah, I just and of course, and I don't think it's something that's out of the question because the father mentioned that my son is a capitalist, so it's just a, I, I don't know, maybe those intellectuals really just have a thing for intellectual masturbation, just throwing out casual terms <laughs> like like the isms in you know that they mentioned, like oh gosh, I, I hate I know. those intellectuals. 
I'm like, yeah, I think those are the things where 9-11 kind of work its way in. But it's kind of just disjointed when it's so forced in this one yeah. moment. Yes. Yeah. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And yeah. I also... Uh, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But I think after 9-11, church attendance in the United States really spiked up. I mean, yeah. Um, I think you might have been. I think you're right, and then it probably dropped after movies like Spotlight, which you and I talked about before the podcast. Well, uh, Catholic attendance dropped. So <laughs> yeah, but that I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe people. I, I I don't know what your thoughts on this, but I think people, when confronted with such a horrifying like encounter yeah. with death, even not just. I don't know, maybe even if you're not really a person who believes in Catholicism or maybe believe in, in God or a God, for that matter, I think you would find some reflection on that moment in time. And I mention that because in the film, there is a lot, there are a lot of, there is, there are, there's a lot of religious references in yeah. the film. Like, in the title cards, there is this, like, Nun, right? Nun who was distributing like the the Eucharist and the casually yeah. distributing Eucharist, and then dropping names like the the pre the Pope or like Mar- the saints. What do you think of that? Re- the, the, the 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 dropping of religious references in this. I mean, I guess it's probably just supposed to remind us that Remy is doesn't believe in that. Like, I feel like that's what it kind of ends up becoming because they have such that that struggle at the end, you know, where she's like, oh, just say, just say you believe or whatever. Like, she wants him to, like, because she, I think, she, you know, um, I guess that's probably, what, I also feel like sometimes movies just do it to seem intellectual and to be like, like when they were at the dinner when they're talking about Plato and Socrates and stuff, I was just like, oh my God, really? This is what you're talking about? You have days to live. This is what you're talking about? <laughs> Yeah, like, really? I mean, you're already talking about sex. Let's go with that for dinner. Yeah. And not Plato, because I am not going to talk about Plato and then dinner. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just interested. In your, in your experience, has has religiosity had really a big effect post-9-11, and even in your just circle? Um, You know, I feel like most people I know are it really into those like um what would we call them like they're like um mega churches like a lot of people i know are into like uh they're kind of like non-denominational um churches that are like almost like a club mm-hmm. that not, not evangelicals no they're just like they're just big church like big big clubs I would describe them as and they just like everybody hangs out together and like I know a lot of people are into that that's where they're like finding their religion but like like Catholicism like Catholic attendance is down and like attendance in the more like traditional um I would say traditional churches is down but um but stuff like that where you're like almost like a I'm gonna you're like a sorority it's like a sorority or a fraternity that kind of religion people are really into like around here fun yeah 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 Yeah, they want to have fun so 
but I, you know, give me the guilt. That's what I always say. I, I gotta feel guilty in my religion. You gotta make me feel bad. That's. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, as someone who is uh, as a believer and is a part of a religious organization, yeah, yeah, it, it's there. Um, yeah. That, that yeah, and I know. As for me, I, I choose to live with that. But in this case, I think in this kind of experience, for some people, for some reason, people just glom into like. I don't know. I don't know what is it with events like this, like 9-11, that causes people to be more in touch with their faith or belief? I think it's because, like, people, you know, start to think about death. And maybe that's why that is the other relationship to the to Remy in the film is that, like, He's thinking about death, but he's not necessarily finding religion. He's rejecting it. And, like, his religion is women and... and um, What a religion that I, is! <laughs> would, would you say? Oh, yeah, maybe because he was, like, you know, that's his devotion. His life is really yeah. devoted to women. And... He was like, I, I'll miss the women. I just thought that was funny. And, like, I would have been interested in, to see what it was like before he had cancer like so that's why i keep thinking about that or even just right before he had cancer like you know what was his life like i mean i guess we kind of get a glimpse when he's look so is he let go from being a professor because of an indiscretion with a woman maybe hmm. is, he let, is he let go because of that yeah yeah why was he let go maybe the maybe the cancer let me see. That I'm gonna see if I can if they have like what happened. Yeah. Um, Wikipedia, help us, please. <laughs> I know, right? Like, cause I thought, cause he talks about, um, like that. Um, he's like, oh, the secretary gets more of a send. I couldn't find it, but the secretary yeah. got more of a send off than I did, and I was just like, okay, like, well, you know, she deserves a send off too, like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, which is another hint of misogyny, the fact that he'd be like, I did more than her. I should I didn't get anything. Um but but I also thought it was interesting that scene where the students come back to say like, Oh, we we miss you, which that must have been. Maybe that was the scene right before he found out that he had cancer. Or did he leave? Maybe he did leave because of cancer. You're probably right. Um, because he leaves and then um, you know, looks back wistfully. And, um, you know, he sees the students and I thought whenever they came to, to see him, I thought, oh, wasn't that like a while ago? I didn't realize that was like a recent flashback. So, but then whenever they come to the, um, and they're like, oh, we're not learning anything and everything. And then, you know, Sebastian pays them to say that, which I thought that was, that's kind of cruel in a way, like, um, that he even had to do, but then the woman, of course, is like, I can't take that. Like. I wanted to be like, what is this hold that he has on women? If this film were made in America, Clint Eastwood would direct it and would star in it as Remy because the way that the man is like, in Clint Eastwood movies, he's always like attracting women. Like even in his last film. Um, the um, Mule? Yes. And he has like, he's like 90 years old and having three ways. Like, um, I feel like that is the the same kind of like uh swagger that this film has is like this guy can get anybody like 
Um, and like even the girl who came in for money that she was going to like say she missed yeah. him. And by the end of it, she's like, I can't do it. Like, I was kind of like, take the money, bitch. Take yeah. it. You earned it. <laughs> yeah, And I did not realize that that was a flashback because I was just like a very passive viewer. Like, oh, he visited. I just, uh, I just disappointed myself for not realizing that was a flashback. And second one, yeah, I, I agree. He had hair. He had hair. Oh, yeah. and that would have been a great spot for having those, those uh, fade in and fade out parts but they didn't even do it there. That I did not notice. Maybe I should have noticed that more. Um, Or maybe I wasn't paying attention because I think in the second half of the film, it kind of dropped the ball. So I wasn't paying as much attention anymore, which is wrong because I'm talking about this film. Um, (laughs) Second one. um, Yeah, I I would agree with your observation that this is probably going to be a Clint Eastwood kind of film because I haven't seen The Mule yet. I I haven't seen it, but I just know that he has, has, I mean, I just watched Unforgiven. And and I've watched him. I've watched other of his films, other films. But um, I know that he was like a ninety-year-old man having a three-way with in in the mule. And just yeah. the idea of like what you know, there's this sense of like that women will just fall over him, and that he believes that. And I get that from this character, and perhaps this director that thinks that women would just fall all over, all over this guy, which he's you know. He's just he's just a dude. Like he's just a yeah. dude. And I think that's that points to the male gaze in terms of the storytelling because um when you have these characters like getting women all the time at ninety and you know, in the case of, I mean, I only knew there were three ways in the mule because of Pete Davidson's sketch and uh and and, and like uh what do you call it? Uh no 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 um Weekend updates. When we get out is he talked about the mule and like having three ways at 90 years old. And I'm like, I'm 24 and I'm having a hard time finding those people anyway that are interested in three ways. So it's like, this is a male fantasy that is happening. And it is, unfortunately, if you're going to trace back, you know, in history of cinema and history of life, that is the point of view that has been taking place. Like, for example, if we're going to look at Hollywood, like, when when I, I remember this one tweet that I saw, like when people say that they're making love in Hollywood, I think it's just Ronaldo Sosa. Um, when you when when in classic Hollywood, when they say they're making love, check that one out, because it's either making out or actually rape. But because it's in a male point of view, like we're making love, um, and in this way also, like in terms of framing, like I I don't understand. I know that intellect can be really sexy and. Age is just a is just a number, theoretically speaking, but I'm not seeing it. Like in terms of even how he deals with women. Yeah. It's almost a it's why would these women be so you know, it's it's like it's like when you're calling customer service and the the representative is already don't call and you're keeping calling. Like he doesn't want to deal with you anymore. And they're like right. and this person like my performance in bed was Oscar worthy. Like I agree with that sentiment. I feel that. So yeah, it's just a weird, distinctly male, uh, perspective. There's that scene where they all, all like they're around the house, like at night and they're like almost like outside having a fire. And all the women are talking about how they gave him blowjobs. Like, and they're like, Oh, we all here have done that. And I was kind of like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was already thinking of like, is that a Western thing? His 
wife is right there listening to this. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm not comfortable with that because I I don't know if that's a Western thing of like we're we're friends and we're talking about oh oh my gosh I sucked you right you remember that I don't I mean, know if that's it's a not I mean there are some groups that do that but I found that very the fact that they were all so open about it I mean all of his mistresses together seemed to be friends yeah. and wife seemed to know and not care like yeah about it. and maybe the age because I think. They already mentioned how their sex drive went down as they went along. So maybe there's a detachment already to that. So maybe like, yeah, I sucked you at the time. Ha ha ha. But yeah. yeah um, I don't know. I haven't had those conversations, you know, and I went to college for four years. So I must, I should have had those conversations. I did not have any of those. Um, one interesting about thing about gender in this film is that, um, of course, you already mentioned the mistresses being okay, but the conversations between the intellectuals um it is heavily misogynistic in terms of like how they just objectify women and the women in that group are just like okay with it yeah and i would also say that most of the men are the ones doing the intellectual talk and the women mostly just talk about like you know their relationship to him yeah it's i'm not satisfied <laughs> with how yeah. those were drawn out um one thing, I mean, the group of friends are like in a bubble. They're elitist intellectuals who just like saw everyone else as stupid um, while they gather in like intellectual orgy, like all the isms, you know, in their brain. Like, um, <laughs> I just did something that audiences would not see because like intellectual masturbation is like this. And I, I love rem- that. Yeah. And yeah. And I remember like my, my, my female friends are like, that's just. That's a male thing. Can we get something like this? Like, uh, that is the intellectual masturbation that's happening with this group, which is like a very, I don't know. I hate those conversations. I was like, what do you make of the scene where I think it's his brother who his brother has like a much younger wife, the blonde and, and they're, and basically he's told Remy that like Natalie can stay at the house or like people can just stay at their house. And the wife is like, you didn't even ask me about this. And he's like, oh, anything for my brother. And she's like, I'm taking the girls and leaving you. This is this is what happened to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Did you see that? <laughs> and I was just like, this is so weird. But I'm also like, she has a right to be upset that they paint her out to be like a villain. Like, because she doesn't want people staying at her house, which she wasn't even asked about. Like, I think it's Natalie and it's like okay yeah let's have a heroin addict stay at my kid like at the same house that my little girls are in like it's weird yeah I did not see that Nicole Kidman connection because I wasn't in a conversation at the time but I I'm with her you know what the f I'm I'm the I'm I'm your wife we have a I should have a say on this uh I think I don't know maybe just it paints a clear um gender politics within this circle like in this circle probably the men are running the conversation like yeah. even with friends or in family it is the men but it is interesting that for some reason i think their misogyny is such a twisted thing because um with this guy who is so much into women his that's also his weakness yeah yeah i, I don't think it's interesting that like Sebastian when he would buy the heroin he wouldn't do it himself he'd have Natalie do it for him yeah, like maybe yeah do it yourself like this is for your dad even the guy says to him like 
and there's something interesting, an interesting dynamic there that like that he's making the woman do the dirty work for him and not actually doing it himself. Or yeah, or like maybe um, removing any um, any possibility of, of culpability. Yeah, blame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe he. I don't know. Maybe he also sees Natalie as a lower person because if she's oh, caught, he, if she's caught, then you know she's a drug addict. Yeah. Yeah. He's and the, his, his basic yeah. bitch. She's the art gallery. Which that whole scene where the guy calls her at like five thirty in the morning and he's like fondling her. I'm like this. That was the closest sex scene we got in the movie. But I was just like, this is weird too. This has no place here. This like lots of scenes that just have no place here. Yeah, I mean, the only scene to make this a sex comedy is like yes. uh, 5.30, half awake, fondling thing. And I'm like, I understand you guys, but this does not really connect with the plot at all. No. Um, yeah. Or and maybe, he starts yeah. doing that when she answers the phone. It wasn't like, she was like asleep before then. Yeah. It's, it's really smart. Yeah, the film is kind of unfocused and goes into a lot of directions without, uh, it's, I don't know. It feels thought off. Thought it feels like it was meditated to be done. Like maybe they were connecting, uh, you know, because they left London, their life in London of capitalism and art galleries and stocks and all that crap. But the the push and pull between the father and the business there, but it just doesn't mesh flawlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And on the scene level, at least, because thematically, I kind of understand. Like even in the nine eleven, I understand close to death nine eleven, that feeling. But when on uh, when on, on paper, and on the on the on the screen already, it doesn't fully connect flawlessly. Yeah. That's why it's like, why did they go there? Why did they go? There? It's weird. Those things. Yeah. 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 And then one thing that uh here is the drug use, um that. You know, they, <laughs> the audacity of Sebastian to go to the police, like, can you get me the people that are, um, but those things, it just shows his privilege. And yeah, hmm, I think in the two, in our lens right now, I just find it so hard to connect to people that are so privileged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, I was, there were a lot of things that were happening in this film that I was like, hmm, this would not go over well now. Like, yeah. And that was something, and I don't know whether we're supposed to think it's funny, but it just comes off as him being like, you're right, privileged. And um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Because even in Paris, they're kind of poking fun at the people who are privileged. Yeah. So that's a high standard parasite. But anyway, that, that consciousness of like, if you're showing something like this, then you have to understand what it means or how it would reflect on the audience. I think this one, this doesn't really have uh, any, they, this, this one doesn't see privilege critically. It shows as it is like Sebastian can get a floor in the hospital. Sebastian can call the police and ask for the drug dealers. Sebastian can travel to the United States and get the results on the same day. Um, Yeah. And that's another reason for detachment. But in terms of drug use, um, yeah, you already mentioned how probably the heroin was not really justified because he wasn't really in a lot of pain. And it just cost worse because he became dependent on it. But I would like to ask, what do you think of that scenario? Like, if if, if a person is really in pain and heroin is a thing that would help that person. I would assume heroin is illegal in the United States right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought that was... I thought it was definitely an interesting thing. 
Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. Is that how, I guess it kind of just made it seem like, is that how bad their healthcare is that like, or is it really helped that much? I mean, I guess I didn't know, I don't know enough about it, but I, um, I thought it was interesting. I thought, it, I definitely thought it was an interesting thing that like, they're using the elite, the like highest of the high drugs to, even they're privileged and they're used to drug, their drugs, you know? Yeah. Um, I think when, hmm, I think it could have been like an, em- and I think maybe it is like an emotional turning point in the film for Sebastian to go out on his, of his way yeah. to do this uh, illegal thing um, for his father, basically. Yeah. But if maybe the pain was more evident and maybe yeah. he had more stake in it, because yeah. you know he was going out on an illegal limb <laughs> on this yeah. one, maybe that would have been like, oh, th- this could be how, even in tough relationships, like kind of love trumps, no triumphs. I don't want to use the word trump. That triumphs, you know, because even in I I, th- I think we we have I don't know about your family dynamics, but I think we have that. You know, even when we're angry with one another, like here's your dinner, like go to school now. Here's your money. So you, you, there's yeah. still there's still love there, but I just don't think it's well communicated with what we see on the screen. But maybe I that was what they're that. going for. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and then the film really doves not doves, but in the final parts, like the euthanasia part of it. Um, the last episode we talked about the sea inside, which is about um, uh, a, a a man who is paralyzed for twenty eight years. That's why he was fighting for his right to end his own life. There, I understand the desire for euthanasia. Here, I kind of don't. I kind of wondered too, where he was just like, I mean, I guess he, there was a little more evidence of pain toward the end, I suppose. But I also was wondering if he was just like, I can't take this anymore. I'm bored type of thing. Like, like just... Like, I'm bored. Like, when is this going to happen? I thought it was more of like, when is this going to happen? I want control over this. Yeah, it's just, hmm. Maybe it's my emotional investment with the character. I did not feel that he really wanted it. Really? Or like, or maybe he, I don't know. It's just, hmm. Because I think, I don't know. I've Luckily, I've not been in that situation. But I think if you're going to want to end your life in that way, you must have gone in, in a hardship because you, you're already asking for that. And I, I, I would actually say that, hmm, he kind of had a good, uh, you know, with his son brandishing his privilege. He kind of had a good, um, not, not the good because cancer is never good, but I think that it's more pleasant than what yes. other cancer patients has in their journeys. I just don't think it was really, I don't know, it, it was a rewarding, or not a rewarding, it's um, a reasonable outcome for him. I mean, I know the terminal illness, but I just did not see much of the progression for him yeah. to desire that. I would agree with that. Yeah. At the one point, I thought he, I liked the part, though, where they were talking and he just, like, nodded off and they thought he died. And he goes, wait, what did you say, cowboy or something? Like, he was, like, faking them out. Because uh, I thought, oh, did he really, is that going to be it? Is that how he's going to die? Um but I, I would agree with that because we kind of just see him at the same level most of the time until the end. 
where he does look at Sebastian at some point and say something like, I'm ready or something. So maybe, I think it was more of a control thing than anything. He just didn't want to, I don't think he wanted to get to the point where he couldn't enjoy his friends, maybe. And so it was just like, I'm ready to do this now. Like, I don't want to delay this any longer. Like, I've done what I, I have my friends around me that I'm able to enjoy them. And I, I've enjoyed them enough. Yeah, maybe that is that because um, even <laughs> I just remember because because this one this year I was hospitalized. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, for one week, you know, I was hospitalized, and my first day at the hospital, uh, Kobe Bryant died, and then the huh. first case of COVID happened in the Philippines, and like I'm already in the hospital. What's happening in the world outside? So I was kind of like Elizabeth Moss in that bottle episode in season three, like I'm getting crazy inside this hospital. That's probably why I love that episode because I'm like, oh my gosh, I am Elizabeth Moss right now. But I think just when you're a patient and you're basically bedridden, you're not in control. People come and go. People like um, get blood or like insert medicine and it's painful, but you're at their mercy. But the whole time he was in that hospital with not so good facilities and crowded things, he fights to have control there. Yeah. Like he, 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 not just intimidated, but verbally attacked like people around him. And so <laughs> your, your, your mention of control, it makes sense that even in this last moment of my life, I, I want to have that. Maybe it's kind of, maybe, maybe it's arrogant or like, maybe it's just like, I want to have that control. I want to have. I want to. Be, I want to have the upper hand. And maybe that's also characteristic of him being an elitist indi- intellectual. Like, I want to be the one yeah. deciding. If yeah. I'm gonna go, it's not gonna be God. It's gonna be me. Yeah. Well, because he knows there is no God. He believes there is no God. So he's like, I'm doing it. Yeah, and interesting because. But he also mentions like you know when he said right, I believe. I I wish. I wish he believed something like that. Something along those he lines. He did say something along the lines at the end. After he says, I would I would love to have had sex with you to the nun. And she's like, I would have let you. I'm like, come on. Look, give us one one redeemable woman in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that, this, this character would not fly. No. Like, she would have never said that either. There was nothing to suggest that she felt that way about him either. Yeah, I mean. He hated her a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 uncalled for. I mean, yeah, it's weird. It, it it it's it's a woman under a vow, a religious vow. I mean, he he said, "I wish I made love to you." He uh, said something, yeah, like yeah. something to her, like um, like I would have given you a ravaging or something, and she was like, yeah. "I would have let you." Oh gosh, I mean, again, it's a very, I don't know, it's a very macho perspective on that because. I don't know. If someone said that to me, I'm like, thank you for that compliment. Really? Interesting. I'd be like, thanks, but no. Sorry. Yeah. But my is, God. There's but... a line here. You know, yeah. this is a nun. Like, yeah. Unless we already saw the nun. Because I think the nun was pretty uh, dil- a diligent nun in, you know, working in the hospital. I mean, if yeah. she saw, showed signs, like, you know. No, she, it, never, I, she never showed signs of like, yeah, I just remember that that attitude of like people when you say that she asked for it, kind of thinking like, "Oh gosh, it's a freaking nun." Stop. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I agree with you with again with the with the father son hug. It would have been more rewarding emotionally if that was more established throughout. Um, do you have like any favorite performances or scenes from this film that you want to highlight? Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody that I don't know if I have any favorites. Um, I did like the nun a lot. I like the nun, even if at the end she disappointed me. What, what, what was the name of the nun? <laughs> yeah, what was it? I just know she was sister for most of it. Sister. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, uh, sister Constance, is it? That's probably it. Johan Marie Tremblay. Oh, is this Jacob Tremblay's mother? I want to search it. <laughs> oh, God. Probably not, but that would be funny. Tremblay. Interesting. Uh, hmm. He is, she is not, but yeah, Tremblay it is. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, as much as we kind of like really did not connect with Remy, I think the actor Remy Girard did a pretty solid job with this. Really, this character tests our limits of empathy. Um, and I also like the wife, uh, Louise, uh, Dorothy Berryman. She was really, I don't know, I think. With her performance, I kind of understand why even if she's the ex-wife, she is still there. Because I with her with her candor and demeanor, I think it suggests a lot of like empathy and love still there. So I kind of understood like why is she sticking with him? She's that just energy. Sad. I thought she was a sad character. Like Yeah. I just Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, uh, Stefan Ozu was Brad Pitt. I, 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 for some reason, I I, I thought that he was D- David Duchovny. Huh! I could see that, too. But, like, I I thought he was the actor here. <laughs> and I'm like, really? That's David Duchovny. And I know, like, David Duchovny and Brad Pitt, like, some people in there are like, oh, they kind of have some similarities. So I did not realize it was a different actor after I saw the credits. Oh. Why is David Duchovny's name not in here? So <laughs> weird for me. I would just point out, like I, I, I criticize this moment, but I think the montage of the women he dreamed of in his life, um, <laughs> even you know, for, I think it's a very, vu- it's kind of a vulnerable moment for him. Like the, he and his friends are kind of talking about like sex and the women he fantasized about and the cause of the flooding and the river in terms of sperm levels. But I don't know, like maybe, and, and, that, and that scene went on a close-up. So I think like maybe if they were having like a crass discussion, it was actually a very vulnerable moment for him for some weird reason. Uh, because I don't know, I'm not comfortable sharing who I dream of. <laughs> and to share that uh, when he is on a, he is facing death. I think that's a very I don't know, vulnerable moment that I wish it wasn't as misogynistic as that. But there we go. We got that moment of him thinking about the women. And it's not the stories. We see images. So it's kind of like him looking back at his life. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm 24 and I have those moments. You know, I look back like, hmm, I like, where is he? Is he gay now? Let's let's message him on Facebook. Uh, but yeah, those things. But yeah, those are my. That's my f- probably one favorite scene from the film. 
T'as ruiné sa vie à elle, t'as ruiné mon enfance, mon adolescence, puis celle de Sylvaine, ben... Ah, c'est de ma faute si ma fille est une ratée. Sylvaine, ah, elle aime la mère, elle est convoyeuse de voilier, elle est extrêmement compétente. Je trouve ça pas mal moins raté, moi, que de moisir dans une université minable d'une province de Ticoune. Écoute-moi bien, mon petit garçon. T'es peut-être millionnaire, mais tu sais absolument rien. Il y a une chose que je sais, ma vie va pas sembler à la tienne. Parce que si je suis ici, c'est pas à cause de toi, c'est à cause d'elle. C'est elle qui m'a élevé, c'est pas toi. C'est pour elle que je suis là, pas pour toi. Dérange-toi non pas. Hein? T'as pas un avion à prendre pour Hong Kong? Vas-y donc, j'ai pas besoin de toi une seconde, mon vieux. Tu m'emmerdes! Pas donc chier, Calis. Tu m'emmerdes! So, we're now gonna talk about how the Barbarian Invasions basically got this award. Uh, so, Kat, it premiered in Canada in May and also premiered at Cannes where it won the jury prize and best actress for uh, the, the actress that played Natalie. Uh, I need to mention it, Marie Jessica's. And premiered at Telluride on August 30 and Toronto on September 4 and was released in the United States on November 21 on a limited run. Uh, this was Canada's first win and third nomination. Actually, the the first nomination is for the, the Decline of the American Empire, which is the prequel to this film. And it was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay, which I find interesting because they already had characters from the Decline of the American Empire. That is really interesting. Wait, so this was nominated for an Academy Award for the original or- screenplay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize that. And um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder like I mean I guess I guess it does have that kind of you know original screen. You're right though. It it maybe it should have been adapted if it was well not adapted. I guess it is original. Yeah, even though it's based on other characters. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's kind of standalone-ish. But at the same yeah. time, uh, they did that with Toy Story 3 based on characters made by blah, 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 blah. And then yeah. Before Midnight based on the characters made by blah, right. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So so this one, we're like, hmm, really? Original screenplay. I wonder how they figured that out. I wonder how they, like... Yeah, I think it's easier to hide things before um like for example in 2002 the year before uh gangs of new york and uh i think was adapted in some sorts and then uh my big fat greek wedding which is from a one act play yeah it was in an original screenplay and i I think now they're more strict yeah for example uh with damon chazelle for whiplash um which is a nutty case because he made he wrote the screenplay for the feature film first, but then he needed to make a short film to fund his feature film, and he was completely original the whole award season. But when it comes to the Oscars, it's based on the short film, so they have to switch switch campaigns. Wow, I think they're just more loose before. I think you're probably right. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that. That like, yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't realize it was up for. Best original screenplay, too. Yeah, and, and the part of the film which we had some problems, like, oh, it was nominated for that as well. Really. I know, right? Like, that's, I mean, I guess it has the hallmarks of a, an original screenplay because it's, uh, you know, intellectual. And I mean, if you like Woody Allen in this category, then they would like this because it's, you know, people just sitting around talking a lot of the time. Yeah, and maybe it was edgy at the time. To... It could have been it, and because it honestly, because it has those ties to nine eleven, I'm sure that yeah. made it edgy and made it like something 
feeling more current. Oh yeah, maybe it was more profound at the time yeah. the experience to see yeah. how it all ties up. Like wow, um, and then it was nominated for Golden Globe, won Critics' Choice, nominated for BAFTA, and won National Board of Review, and it never really went super wide. Like only one hundred thirty nine max, and its domestic gross was three point four million, and international is eighteen point three, and the worldwide is like twenty one point eight. Sounds good for a film like this. Yeah. I mean, I would not have watched this if not for this Oscar winning nomination. So, I mean, especially before, because I think now it's more streamlined. Like you have, like even films from countries who we would not know, they would, they would submit for foreign language film this year and qualify for other categories as well. Because I think now the pace of, film conversations and film criticism is so fast that if you're released if you're premiered in Cannes right now you better premiere this year because you're going to be lost in a conversation next year because there are more films now than before right that's true yeah. that's really yeah. interesting because like for example like let's go to the other nominees for example Evil from Sweden it was sold in Cannes and premiered in Toronto it was nominated in 2003, but only released in the United States in 2006. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I did not like bother checking the releases of other films like The Twilight Samurai from Japan, which premiered in Berlin, and Twin Sisters from Netherlands, and Jellery from Czech Republic. But yeah, that's the thing before. I think before word of mouth can take a year. Yeah. Yeah, but now I think, especially with how film Twitter is going, like build your word of mouth for one month. <laughs> because if you don't get that, you're gonna be like, especially that I, I, I would love to know your thoughts on the expansion of the eligibility period for this Oscars. I mean, it's just so weird. I mean, I don't even know how. I honestly, I have no opinion because I don't even know how it's gonna work. I mean, and I think because it's just like everything is so day to day. It's so hard to know. Like, I know that we're supposed to have, um, I think next week is when some AMC theaters are supposed to start opening. Um, good luck with that. I know that's shocking to me. And, um, I don't know. It's honestly, it's, yeah, I feel like I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. Holding on to the, holding on for dear life with all of these things. Yeah. Are you, do you intend to watch? go to a movie um i probably would like i mean i'd probably wear my mask i mean i i'm working in an office right now i'm going to work every day and in my mask and um you know um so i'm I'm comfortable more comfortable being out and about than most people i would say um but uh, i would probably take the risk i miss going to the movies but i would i also go by myself so i you know I wouldn't have a problem with that. I don't need a big group to go or anything. Yeah, I, I hope AMC does their part of, like, if you're going to open, at least drop the capacity inside. I think that's what they're planning on doing. And and masks on. I think masks yeah. on. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't feel comfortable watching films cinemas for at least a year. So... Uh, see you in the Heights, probably in the cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Oh, I, I, I mean, I wasn't really. I did not know that. I, I, I mean, I wasn't really following that. But when I saw the trailer, oh, this is gonna be such a joyful film to probably watch. And then, 
we get Hamilton, um, yeah. which I haven't seen yet. But um, hmm, I think yeah, especially this year. I think even without the theatrical run, I mean, there's so much streaming and VOD coming out. Yeah. Um, that I actually don't feel comfortable like the the extending. I, I hated the idea because yeah, like- I th- I think now now is a chance for Academy to let's see what we have. I mean, if we're counting number of films, there probably isn't a lot. If we're going to maintain the number of films that are um, being screened in VOD and all that jazz, it's kind of roughly the same or even lesser, but the Academy of doesn't really watch all the 300 eligible films. Um, I do think that it is necessary, I guess, to have the extension because, like, nothing has come out, I guess. I mean... You know, I mean, are we going to give, I know you'd love this, but are we going to give Elizabeth Moss Best Actress for The Invisible Man? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, I just, I just thought it was a missed opportunity to go on a different direction because I felt that when they extended it, um, they were really trying to catch those films, those contenders that probably would debut on October, November, but they're going to have to move it to. But yeah. just like, if we're missing films now, Imagine next year. Yeah. Like, I would actually think that independent films and foreign acquisitions would survive us in the years to come in terms of what would play. I would think that this would be a good time for independent films, I guess, because you could just, like, really... I mean, a lot of independent films don't have a lot of fanfare with them anyway, so this might be a good opportunity to release those little films and have them, you know, go VOD and to a bigger audience. And then, um, you know, maybe we do get some more independent films in the uh, Academy Awards nominations, like, because of that. Like, that's that was kind of a nice idea to think about. Yeah, and then when they brought up the idea of the virtual screening room, like, oh my gosh, they're going to probably see these, like, left... No- not not leftovers, it's a bad word. Like leftovers from the Sundance from 2019, 2018 screening now. And it will be maybe like a very creative Oscar. the same way that the Emmys is crazy now. Yeah. But I just felt that they were not ready to go ready to go there. And, you know, I would say maybe we would get film editing nominations from documentaries or like sound uh, nominees from document, like concert documentaries or like more performance is not in English and all that but no but I just mentioned that because even in, in this pandemic thing the VOD a lot of a lot of films are still streaming it's like it's hard to catch up with them and you have to have like a word of mouth to get going mm-hmm. now even with lesser film screening you have to have a good word of mouth there for this yeah. week at least because if you don't have that, you're gonna you're you're gonna dissolve. Like for example, Summerland that dropped like July thirty one, and I so want to I so want Gemma Arterton to get like an Oscar campaign there just because it was such a heartbreaking. Like that's a character that's dislikable and abrasive, but she shifted in a beautiful way. But yeah, just mentioning how the time span now compared to before, like I don't know, like. Before, like, for example, Sweden, you get nominated in 2003. You release it in 2006. We were nominated in 2003, so watch us. Yeah, that's wild that that, like, happened that way. So then I wonder how people, how I, how did people even see that movie? Yeah, and, 
Hmm. I think that's why they fixed the rules for this category because before 70s, 60s, you would have films nominated for this year in foreign language film. And because they would only be not released in the United States two years after, they would get nominated again. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's why, like, for example, uh, hmm, like in 1966, like the Battle of Algiers was nominated for a um, foreign language film, but was only released in the United States in 68. And then in 68, it gets Best Director. Wow, that's really wild. That they 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 was messy and <laughs> yeah yeah and then I think this year and this year we're already starting to see like films being released so far from their Oscar nominations, and just just goes to show like how the film conversations has shifted in their pace. Yeah, yeah like like Im- I cannot imagine like in your work you're doing a lot of interviews and and articles like oh and just pumping them because there's so much stuff right now in right. TV and in film. But before you have the breathing time to catch up. Yeah, yeah. I know. Now I feel like I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, for, am I ever going to watch Game of Thrones in my life? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think these group of nominees are... Hmm. 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 That's my reaction to this group of nominees. I mean, they were... They were good, but... I struggled to find, like, a... Like, one that's really... St- stands out with me the most i mean i would like for example sweden it's about a a bully who goes to an elitist boarding school which he becomes the bully there that's a very strong film about toxic masculinity that is like oh my gosh this could have been made now because i was gonna say i feel like that's a movie now that would come out like just based on the plot and people would be like oh this is so relevant twitter bullying social media bullying it's so it's so sharp and it's what it wanted to say and yeah, it would get those relevant, like, um, urgent viewing, yes. kind of like coats uh-huh. on the poster kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then Twilight Samurai, it's this, I, I had a different expectation because it's about a, a samurai that um, that is kind of lowly in his life. Because I think samurai has a very, samurais in Japan have a very, uh, very high standards. And he's not reaching that. Um, but he's widowed and he's being forced. Like, if you're going to be a better samurai, you got to have a wife kind of thing. Again, gender roles, which is like, wow, this is being explored in 2003. And you get a best a best foreign language film winner, which is problematic gender politics. Like, okay. Um, and then Twin Sisters is about twin sisters that were separated at war. And then... Um, the one is from Netherlands and the other one is in Germany and they're kind of at odds because in Netherlands they are against the Nazis and in Germany he is engaged to a Nazi. So like, how do they clash that? Which is very kind of soap, soap opera-ish storyline. But yeah, yeah, it discusses a lot about culpability. Like, are you part of that problem? And then Jellery, which is about a woman who... Surprise, surprise, again, during the period of Holocaust, whose doctor, who's married to a doctor, it is part of the resistance, but when they were caught, she needs to hide in a town and she has to marry a, a person there so that she could hide her identity. And then slowly the war catches up with them. It's just exhausting when you have the two longest films in this lineup all, all be both about World War II. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's this, this category. It's, it's such a World War II kind of... It's, 
we're, we're so spoiled now. We ha- I think even with how flawed the category is, we have more diverse stories here. Yeah. Yeah, but before, like, all right, so Holocaust film number three for today, okay? Really? And yeah, I mean, my mom has been dreading, like, are we going to watch another Holocaust film again? <laughs> And she would tell me, like, I already know Hitler by heart. This is too much. But... Oh, my God. Yeah, this oh, is your just... poor mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But she... And she's reading subtitles, and it's about World War II and Holocaust. Like, can we great? Can we watch something fun? Like, can we go watch this Jennifer Lopez film? Like, sure, Mom. Um, yeah, so it's really... It's showing how homogenous the taste was at the time. And... Yeah, it's kind of like lazy thing to see because I think if we're going to go to the other films that were submitted, like if we're going to take a look at 2020, oh, that would have been probably nominated now. But because, yeah, yeah, and mostly Eurocentric category this is. Yeah, yeah, so the films that were nominated this year that were not in English, uh, City of God, uh, which was submitted last year, did not get in, premiered this year, Got directing, adapted screenplay, cinematography, and film editing. That's wild that it didn't get in. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I mean, looking back at before, they were also. It was a. It was a favorite in two thousand two. I mean, in terms of the awards that led up to that. It's what it, still talk about today a lot too. I yeah. I I look. I said I haven't seen it, but I know it's just one that gets mentioned a lot. Yeah, it's in 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 film discussions, like film and how to edit films best films of the century discussions like wow this is really stuck here and it was so interesting because i did not read any articles at the time but i was thinking that was it being snubbed in 2002 a factor why it got went big in 2003 or is it the miramax factor or it's again a genuine word of mouth that could be those are all good questions I mean, I knew at the time, like, Miramax, um, a.k.a. Harvey Weinstein, he was he was really pushing for Cold Mountain. But, yeah, yeah that kind of um, did not meet expectations <laughs> in terms People of Oscar. I liked Cold Mountain. I like that Sorry. one a lot. I, I mean, like in ter- Yeah, in terms of Oscar nominations. I mean, yes. uh, uh, it was poised for director, picture, actress, because Nicole Kidman just won last year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I... For this, for like, because if a film gets directing, screenplay, editing, and cinematography, if we're predicting now, like, of course, it's going to be nominated for Best Picture. Right. Yeah. It just goes, yeah, well, goes to show how much has changed. Yeah. And this was like 2000s. And like, I remember 2000s, like, you know, just like yesterday. But yeah. it has shifted already. Um, the Triplets of Belleville from France, which premiered at Cannes and got nominated for BAFTA for for, I love their title, Best Film Not in the English Language. We have to make that clear. <laughs> like, I understand foreign language film or like, okay, maybe best non-English language film, but best film not in the English language. We have to delineate that. They also have their best <laughs> British film and their best film. Yeah, animated feature in original song, which is, you know, I think it was more common before for original songs in not in English to be nominated. Um, and then Balseos from Spain, but in Catalonia, it's an autonomous state in Spain for a documentary feature. 
I want to see the city of God, and I'm going to talk about that more in the next episode. But I just want to say the city of God is filmmaking on an adrenaline rush. Yeah. It's just intense. Like, I understand, like, people saying it's kind of exhausting to watch, but it also maximizes film, make, film language in such a distinct way. Yeah. Like, wow. It's, and it kind of revived Brazil's film industry, so good for them. Like, that's great. Yeah, like, you know, um, I'm I'm going to rant about this in 2001, but my country, I think my country is one of the only countries, I guess this category was, became competitive in 1956. And at the time, there were only eight submissions for foreign language film. Wow. And taking a look at the list of the nominees that year, um, only the Philippines is the only country still not nominated. And I'm like, what do we have to do? Well, that means you have to make the movie. And it's going to be your movie that gets nominated. I have this recurring thing. Like, for example, if I'm bored, I'm just going to play, like, random, like, the Oscar speeches that I love. And, of course, I'm also dreaming of Emmys now. Like, I want to win an Emmy at some point. Um... (laughs) But I play like random Oscar speeches. Like, you know, I, I love the moment when, when winners win and they have this walk music that is set to the tune of their film. Like yes. that's literally your moment. Yes. And I am imagining that outwardly. Like for example, if everyone's asleep at home, everyone's in their rooms, like I'm going to play this and I'm going to walk in my stairs and I'm going to wrap my blanket in my waist so that I have a trail train and i and you know when when you know when best act, i love best actors so when they carry the train like i want to have that maybe i'm gonna design my own oscar yes i love all of this I, i'm already manifesting this on air like i am gonna if even yeah. if not nominated just submitted but that's yeah. aim for win yeah and I don't know, for some weird reason, I was thinking maybe we could do original screenplay or like maybe documentary short or like maybe I would move to the United States when everything is better. Maybe we can get supporting actor in a category of fraud. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so much dreams. Um, and, and But now the Emmys, like, I want to be best writing or best directing in a, I don't know, drama or limited series. But yeah, those are, I just exposed a very private moment in my life there um, i love it i love the idea of the train i love it yeah it's like it's it's a suit but it has a train yes and very very um billy porter yeah and or maybe a cape and, and the cape is so it. lightweight that i'm gonna run through the aisle and it's just gonna flow like float like you del- this is overdue since 1956. We're going to make a mark in this win. So I'm going to yes. come up on the stage with a train and a cape. Yes. Love it. If we have public gatherings again. <laughs> <laughs> because if I'm going to win an Oscar in a virtual ceremony, like, wow, thank you so much. I love this. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, this year, um, 56 submissions. First timers were Mongolia. Palestine, which is going to dig deep later, and Sri Lanka. Asians. Woo! Um, All right, so this year was kind of messy because a lot of the films that were recognized in other award shows did not get in, except The Barbarian Invasions. 
So when Oscar nominations come and like it's the only one that got Globe and BAFTA and Critics Choice and National Board of Review and it also has an original screenplay, like it seemed like a done deal. And you also have Miramax supporting it, like uh, yeah, yeah. Remember the times when if Harvey's on your back, you have a good shot winning. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um. But yeah, I just oh. I mean, I remember as, as, as late as 2015, I'm tweeting like, this is the time where, like, Harvey Weinstein got in Philomena. He got in... I loved Philomena, though. I mean, I love that, but... I mean, I love that, too, but just, like, there were other choices that year as well. Yeah. Um, it, did, it, it did not win anything, so, like, is it gonna be... It, it's it's in the 8, 9, 10 position that year. Yeah. Of all the films he pushed... He could not push Carol to a Best Picture nomination. <laughs> really? That's true, right? Yeah, and then he he, he he got Lion. Lion was Weinstein Company, right? I think you might be right about that. Yeah, and he um he framed it was a it was the last thing disgusting thing he did is that he framed Lion's campaign not as a boy searching for his mother, but as an immigrant finding opportunities and that was a time when the muslim ban happened like really and then in 2014 like um the imitation game which is so sanitized with its homosexuality like, yeah. honor the man honor the film like oh right. my gosh right i forgot but about yeah that. but i think that's i mean we are not here justifying his behavior but i think the reason why maybe people let that pass is because he had really had a passion for these films. He was pushing films, even in the dirtiest ways, which we do not condone at all. But um, it that that methodology of campaigning has unfortunately shaped what Oscar campaigns would look like until now. Like TV appearances, late night shows, and like um, free trips, and like free this free that calling them like can you watch your film um yeah. those things but yeah just important to remember that there was a moment in oscar history where he was a force in terms of the films that get in and win yeah um just mentioning like this he was this was coming off of 2002 where he got in miramax chicago the hours and gangs of new york and he also got for Frida and other stuff. So he was, he played the game very well. Yes. Which, you know, maybe sh- uh, contributed to the Barbarian Invasions winning. Um, yes. But yeah, looking at these films, like for example, um, the mo- I think the most buzziest one is Osama from Afghanistan. Um, won Golden Globe. Yes. Wow premiered at Cannes and the character is just named Osama and there's no other connection but of course Osama Bin Laden happened and it was kind of a surprise success because it 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 earned 3.8 million in the box office over the budget of 46,000 wow yeah and maybe the name helped the Osama one like uh, we are patriots we're Americans but we're gonna watch a film called Osama just for interest's sake um, and a goodbye Lenin from Germany, starring Daniel Bruhl, um, Berlin premiere, Golden Globe nominee, BAFTA nominee, and then the return from Russia, another Golden Globe nominee. Why are the Golden Globes that happened this year? Won Golden Lion at Venice. 
Hmm. Uh, the story of the weeping camel from Mongolia. It did not get nominated this year, but it was nominated for documentary feature the following year. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I did not know that until this episode because I mentioned that last episode, but oh, here it is again. And then Distant or Uzak from Turkey won Grand Prix and Best Actor at Cannes. And we have to mention Infernal Affairs from Hong Kong, which um, was remade by Martin Scorsese, brought his first Oscar for The Departed. Um, It's a great original film. And I see how Scorsese improved upon it. I'll have to check it out. It's one I've always wanted to see. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, because when I saw that this is such a this is such a European list, except for Twilight Samurai, I have to get Infernal Affairs in. So we watched it, and it was a great action film, kind of cheesy at times. That's why I saw that the story, the meaty story, is already there, and Scorsese just amped it up a bit because I think Infernal Affairs has is more sentimental. Scorsese was just down, down, dirty and brutal with The Departed. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what did you think of The Departed? I loved The Departed. Yeah, I really loved it. Actually, it was the movie that made me really like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio because I wasn't always a huge fan of his. But I thought he should have won the Oscar for that movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another messed up campaign thing that happened. Yeah. Um, he got nominated for, like, Blood Diamond instead, I think. Yeah, I think, I think he, he, yeah. It was like he had two coming out that year, and like that was what he ended up being nominated for, I think. Yeah, he campaigned, I think he got supporting for The Departed, but they also had Jack Nicholson in supporting, and then Mark Wahlberg happened. Yes, Um, he was really good in that. Yeah, it was like, ooh, that's Marky Mark, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the thing that, did it the film that did it to me with DiCaprio's Titanic? I mean, it was not the best. He's it was not his best acting, but I was awakened in terms of like, oh, I want to make films because of how I saw Titanic, and I was awakened in other ways as well. Um, but you know, DiCaprio. But yeah, The Departed and Infernal Affairs. I mean, it's so easy when you watch Infernal Affairs. Like, oh, that's the plot point. Oh, that's supposed to be Vera Farmiga, but. They did something with a character, or like, oh, that's how Martin Sheen fell the build on the building. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was so di- so different, and maybe indicative also of the values in Hong Kong cinema, in terms of what it's in American cinema. But it's an interesting um, side by side. Yeah, and yeah, you would get value of that, and you know, if if they had DiCaprio and Matt Damon. And the Departed, they had Andy Lau and Tony Leung in Infernal Affairs, like. Give me that meat. Um, uh, I just have to say it. And then um, hmm, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring from South Korea, directed by Kim Ki-duk. I, I, I haven't watched it, but I figured that it was probably like a discrepancy because Kim Ki-duk's films are very violent or very sexual. And this was very slow-paced and all that jazz. Hmm. And then Goodbye Dragon Inn from Taiwan. It's about an, an, an old classic theater that is premiering its last showing of a film. And it's directed by Chai Ming Liang. And it's probably how I felt when I watched The Invisible Man. The, the last film in the cinema that I would watch. Like, uh-huh, interesting. And that was a lot of too. 
that, that's the last film that I also watched. Yeah, that's the last do you one love? I- yeah. Do you love watching films with other people or by yourself? I always go by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I by myself. Yeah, me I don't too. Need like. anybody. I, feel, I I don't mind going with people, but I I like going by myself. Yeah, I prefer like not even like on a film review, like stay out of my way. I'm taking down notes kind of way. I just I think hmm, it's just more personal when yeah. you're one on one, and. I don't know. It's just so intimate because when people always say it's such a communal experience, like I understand that. But for me, it's such a one-on-one. Yeah. And I'm probably spoiled because I watch movies at 12 in the afternoon and no one's there. Like I watched 1917 by myself. I went, Um, actually I went to do that one by myself too. And The Invisible Man by myself as well. Like I'm the only person in the cinema, like what's moving there? Oh my gosh. Um, And and I almost cried because that's the first time I saw Elizabeth Moss on the big screen. Like, that's my queen! Oh, my <laughs> And, like, I am so spoiled with close-ups. Like, give me more close-ups, please. Like, season three of The Hammies. Like, close-ups, close-ups, close-ups. Give me that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a very personal experience. And then, why did we go there? Hmm. And then, Divine Intervention from Palestine. It was a, such an interesting case. It premiered at Cannes. Initially, Palestine wanted to submit in 2002. But then the academy is that you're not a state. And like, ouch, I exist. <laughs> um, and then, mm-hmm. but then the they made an argument, like, for example, like Hong Kong. Like, Hong Kong is an autonomous state. In 2002, three, we have to acknowledge it because now it's a different time. Some country took over Hong Kong, but... Um, you know, like even Puerto Rico, they were accepting submissions from Puerto Rico, which is a part of the United States. Yeah. And Trump is forgetting that it's part yeah. of the United States. So like the following year, they submitted uh, divine intervention in 2003 and it was accepted finally. Um, and there was the remarks that the committee decided to treat Palestine as an exception to the same way we treat Hong Kong as an exception. It's always the goal of the Foreign Language Film Award Executive Committee to be as inclusive as possible, said by John Pavlik. Hmm. For a category that has featured France, Germany, Italy, and Sweden on rotation, I call BS. Yeah. But yeah, it's so different now. Like the only repeat repeat winner in this decade is Iran, and um, the most nominees is Denmark with five and. They only won once, 2010. It's more diverse now, I think. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're making strides, but covering the foreign, the international feature from category is always crazy because, like, for example, that they should have submitted this film the same way that people said it with Portrait of a Lady in Fire. Um, yeah, but it's all crazy. And then when they make the short list, why did it get in those conversations? But I think you would imagine, I think we would have been going nuts before like film theater would explode before because before there was no shortlist it's from 50 to 5 if we do it now 90 to 5 oh goodness like yeah it's messy but yeah this is one of the things that the academy had to navigate in the 2000s because when when palace and got nominated in 2005 it was a different it was messier they got nominated as palestine but Israel objected, so they named it Palestinian authorities, uh, authorities, and then the director objected, so they named Palestinian territories, 
Wow. And then even after the Oscar, people were requesting to to revoke the nomination. Wow. Very... I mean, we know the Oscar is always political, but it doesn't get really this literal like, countries involved in an Oscar nomination yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, do you also, I would imagine you, you also cover for uh, international feature film in... Sometimes I do. Not yeah. not very often. But, um, like, I got to see, well, I got to see Parasite at the Savannah Film Festival back in November before it kind of went everywhere. So that was, like, that was exciting. That must have been like an exciting experience to see yeah. like this film and like nobody, not much people has seen it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, we have a gem here. Yeah, I was really yeah. excited to see it. It was it was so thrilling. Yeah, what what was your experience like watching Parasite and like it's not yet coming out to many people, but like, hmm, we have this it Korean was, film here. Um it was a crowded theater um of students. A lot of students wanted to get in to see it. But, um, and I was worried I wasn't going to make it because I had another movie that I went to see before. But um, it was, it, I just knew it was something special. It held my attention the whole time. And you were like, how is this going to end? Where is this going? Um, yeah, it was, it was a really special experience. And I didn't know I was watching a Best Picture winner, but I knew I was watching something special. Yeah. Uh, did you watch the trailer or read a synopsis of Parasite? Um, I think I just knew, I think I just saw maybe a teaser or something, but I don't even think that any of the trailers or anything around it do it justice. So. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely something you have to experience, I think. Yeah. I actively avoided synopsis and trailers because people were like saying like, if you can go in with less information as possible, like, yeah. okay. And we were watching it and. You know, I watched it and it was like, this is funny. This is exciting when they were taking over. And then the basement door opened. And I'm like, oh! And, you know, my mouth just opened when it opened. It just opened more when she she ran. Like, oh gosh, we're in for some ride. And then after that, like, all right, I have, I'm throwing out any expectations. Yeah. Because... This is gonna be a wild ride, um, but yeah, those are I think the the things that we miss with festivals. I mean, I've only been to a festival, I think once or twice, here in the Philippines, and you know, the, seeing something that you know would be seen by other people in the future, but you have the first hand experience. Or yeah, like, you don't know how is this gonna work or unfold, but it's it's a. And again, like even if it's very personal, the I would imagine Parasite in a packed theater. Yeah, is, it was amazing. It was so yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm just going to make a plea now for anyone who's planning to go to cinemas soon. Um, probably don't. <laughs> because I think if we, if we become strict now, we would go back to our... We would be able to go back faster. But if yeah. we're trying to make uh, concessions now it's gonna be slower yeah 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 I, I miss going to the cinemas as well but yeah I, I'm not gonna risk COVID for Tenet I'm so sorry Christopher Nolan <laughs> yeah I know he's not listening here but I'm not risking months of hospitalization for like two and a half hours of puzzle um, I know a lot in film Twitter like I'm ready 
Yeah. Oh gosh, like, and I abhor when I see people like, I'm so excited. I already got my tickets, and like, I understand. I understand the being stuck at home for months is crazy, yeah. but really, I know. I know. Yeah, and I, I know you're gonna go to the cinema. I'm so sorry, I just offended you. Oh no! I mean, I don't even know when I'm gonna go. Like, I just feel like I could, I would at least like try to check it out. Like, if it's gonna be crowded, I'm not going. Or yeah, or maybe like yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe wait I, for, like, I have my mask on and my hand sanitizer, and I stay away from people. Or maybe like wait for a month, and if yeah. you see the spikes, like uh uh uh, dodge yeah. that bullet. Yeah, I yeah. Could do that too. I mean, I cannot imagine like tenant in drive-ins. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I I've never experienced drive-in, and the only drive-in here in the Philippines is an entirely different province, and it's for rich people. So I would probably never go there. And I don't know. I don't. Have you ever been a drive-in? As a kid, I have. But um, it's I don't not recently. I'd love to go back. I mean, just experiencing as an as an adult. Yeah. Well. Those are the things that we lose when we don't take health yeah. issues seriously. I mean, the people that are so clamoring for Tana to release now are probably the same people who do not want to wear masks even. So that's right. like, are we on a suicide mission? Are right. are we okay? You know, it's just like, I don't know. But maybe this is me coming from a third world country where I understand like being depraved is like a norm. <laughs> I was like... <gasps> We can spend no, I'm months. completely with you on that too. And I, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the theater opening weekend. It's something I would definitely like check out if it's, if, you know, especially if people are like, oh, our theater's hurting. Nobody's coming because I do want to support the theaters. Like that's the other thing. It's, it's hard. You're put in a weird position. Or like, I don't know, um, buy a ticket and then don't go. I don't know. It's just it's a weird situation. But yeah, it's, it's a confounding thing because. I think in a more ideal situation, we can handle health and economy. Mm-hmm. Like in a some, of course, we're not prioritizing business over health, but we can, if we, if we just acted early on, then maybe we could have like a little more semblance of a normal life. And maybe we would not have to uh, grapple with, we're losing cinemas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of films, like independent films that we probably um rally behind um those are the films that stay in cinemas for a long time and then they build buzz and now they are lost in in the vod yeah uh, a lot of vod's Mm -hmm. because i think that's your only because i don't think i think you're you're only holding it out in cinemas if you're a big release and you really need to make big bucks yeah yeah, but other than that, VOD is the way to go. But again, it's like the the, the word of mouth building. Like how, I mean, the pandemic was the only thing that stopped Parasite from existing in cinemas. Like I was seeing grandmothers on Twitter watching Parasite for 15, 20 times in cinemas. Wow. They keep coming back and like they were, they were probably like bong hive. Like I thought I was bong hive. They were the real bong hives. Like paying... <laughs> For 15, 20th time watching it in the cinemas, the pandemic stopped them. But that's the power of the theatrical experience, like making people talk about it in an extended period, organically at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, going back to 2003, um, the other films that were probably 
in the conversation to be submitted were Munzu Ibrahim from France, which won Best Actor for Omar Sharif from Lawrence of Arabia. Oh. And was nominated for Golden Globe for a foreign language film. So maybe, I mean, I mean they were, France wasn't nominated this year. So they're like, hmm, interesting. Because usually for, when France doesn't get nominated, they effed up the submission or just like it's a too difficult film to watch. Huh. And then Swimming Pool from France, Francois Ozon. Uh, Critics' Choice nominee, wow. And then, hmm. There is this film from United Kingdom called In This World, which won Golden Bear Berlin, but it won BAFTA for Best Film, not in the English language, but it was in Persian, Pashto, and Italian. And at the time, there was the official language rule that... If you're a British film, you have to be like in Welsh or Scottish, something like that. Oh wow! Maybe this would have been a factor if I, mean, it was, I think it was a docu docu fiction docu drama. But yeah, now we we have the liberty of like watching films from like oh, United Kingdom is submitting a film in Filipino. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I was so <laughs> I remember 2013. There were three films in Filipino submitted. From Singapore, United Kingdom, and the Philippines. Duh. And then the films that had that had the most chance of getting in were the films in Filipino from United Kingdom and Singapore. Like, are we really ignoring the Filipino film in Filipino? Like, yeah. interesting. Um, but yeah, and then, hmm. The Man on the Train from France won Venice Golden Lion and Los Angeles from Critics. And then... Oh. At five in the afternoon from Iran, one jury prize. I just have to mention that because I think um, female voices in Middle Eastern cinema, they're just like, they should be amplified more because I think the culture and the, the discourse in Middle Eastern cinema has been mostly around men. And when mm -hmm. you see these pioneers and them getting, I mean, because I think when you have like a, I mean, this is also the thing even now, like when a female director gets in into awards recognition, you have to realize that more female directors were not noticed. This director probably fought so hard for her vision. She was probably not even the first choice because of the sexism in the industry mm. and all that jazz. So when you have a female director going big, like jury prize in Cannes, like, oh, wow. And the, it must have been, especially now, because now we have, we now understand what's happening, but before we just t take things as it is, like you know, mm -hmm. Sofia Coppola nominated. Okay, she's the <laughs> third female director. Okay, but we didn't realize the history of sexism at the time. Like, oh my gosh, there's a whole history of female directors ignored by the Academy and in film discussions in general. I think people have always probably known that there was this sexism problem, but I think we are, you know. For the younger generation, we're learning about it later. Yeah, and I think we are a generation of the the exhausted from this crap. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like the boomers are like, you know, they had a good life. But us, we're suffering from small wages and more expensive, like, student loans and all that jazz. So, like, I am not going to take more crap anymore. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's bef I think before even we have those conversations, it can be shrugged off easily. But now you cannot do that anymore because it's more glaring. And now you, um, I think, especially now when film distribution is more democratic, at least assumptions about filmmakers are not just inside a room of 
full of men anymore in studios. You have Instagram data. You have Twitter data to support like when you talk about this film, people are going. You have the numbers. Unlike before, information is withheld by uh, probably a lot of group of men who are like, you're not going to fly. We're just giving you a small budget because who would want to see films about women? Which is freaking ridiculous because I think the only films I've seen in cinemas are about women. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting conversation that we still, we are so glad it's a mainstream now because before you're probably, he's a feminist. Like it's a bad word. Like really? We're talking equal pay, equal opportunity, equal rights here. That's, that's radical. Um, but yeah, so going back to gender, do you think the barbarian invasions was a worthy winner of this category? Um, the other ones mm-hmm. um but they yeah i have to see the other ones but based on what i i could see why it was a winner but i i have to see the other ones uh for me it's my number five of this year from <laughs> the nominees i mean i complained about two world war ii films and various and you know just that but I think I got more from them than the Barbarian Invasions. And I think the disappointment is also more because it's probably a topic that I would have had more easy connections. Like, I was bawling in The Fault in Our Stars. So you know my attitude about death. But this one's like detached. And I don't know, maybe it did not age well. I was wondering about that. I think that might be that might be the thing. Yeah, we just, well, you know, it's part of history. So I think, you know, awards exist in the bubble of this year and they're just an encapsulation, um, a rough est- estimation of the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this was an edgy choice at the time or maybe it was it was critically acclaimed. So like, yeah. um, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's our conversation for the barbarian invasions. Or I'm just gonna say that one last time, la zombation barbare. Woo! So proud of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you so much for coming to this show. I am so yeah. happy to discuss this with you. This was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, and can you tell the listeners again where can they find you and your work? Yes, they can find me on Twitter at HeyDudeMeg and find my work on AwardsDaily.com. There you go. And you can follow me at Carlos Ohano and this podcast at One Inch Barrier. It's available everywhere. Like, it's scary because I, I've even seen this in platforms. Like, oh, really? It's there? Interesting. And then I'm also doing some writing in the film experience. Oh, yay! So Great. Great. Yeah, just recently. But um, but this when this podcast airs, it's like almost a month already. But uh, this, uh, yeah, it's just re- pretty recently. But again, again, thank you so much to you and our listeners. I mean, this is a goodbye for now. Thank you so much and see you next time. And together, let us break this one inch barrier. <laughs>